Hello, it's Sarah Archer and you're listening to episode 17 of the Speaking Club podcast. Stable genius. Must mean they've got the IQ of a horse. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello and thanks for joining me. Well... We've got a treat today. I'm joined by Celia Delaney. She is a professional speaker, a comedian, a musician, a speaking coach. Is there anything this lady can't do? Well, we'll find out. She's going to be sharing some great tips with us why your content should be full of attitude, the four pillars you need to work on to become a super, super speaker, and what happened to her speaking career once she added humour into the mix, and lots, lots more. I think you're really going to enjoy the show. I will That's enough from me. Best get on with it. Here's myself and Celia Delaney. Welcome to the Speaking Club podcast, speaker, musical comedian, and cabaret doyenne, Celia Delaney. (laughs) Hello. So we've got a similar background, I think, although I think you ditched the corporate career a lot sooner than I did, uh, you lucky thing. Um, So I I mean, I've, I've given them a bit of a heads up on your background, but in a nutshell, um, if you could tell us maybe, you know, a bit more about what you do, what made you leave HR and shift to performing? Well, I always wanted to be an actress, actually, when I was a child, you know, that was my dream. And so if I'm honest, I think I was always heading towards that. But my darling mother, of course, <laughs> stressed that I should have something to fall back on and was very worried about me going on the stage like most parents are, I'm sure. So she was very keen that I got a good degree and she was the one that suggested I go to Oxford uh, and I was dead against the idea, but she persuaded me and I went and read psychology and that has stood me in very good stead uh, in terms of the reputation of Oxford, etc. And then it was from there also easier to get a place as a graduate with a good firm. So I went to Unilever on their graduate scheme and worked in HR only for a few years. Um, and I loved it, actually. It was wonderful. If there was anything I was ever going to do in corporate, I think it would be HR and particularly learning and development. And I have done a bit of it since. But I just was desperate to tread the boards and it wasn't going to go away. And so I got a place at drama school uh, behind their backs and then (laughs) handed in my notice. I was quite senior by the time I left, so I had to give three months notice because I was a senior manager. And then... um, Yeah, they were quite surprised that I was leaving as a rising star at Unilever to go and throw it all away on a career in acting. But sometimes, you know what? You've just got to do what your heart tells you to do. My poor mother. (laughs) (laughs) I love theatre. I love writing. I love performing. But, you know, it's not the best paid profession (laughs) and not the easiest one. So we do need other stuff to do besides what happened after drama school you did do some acting yeah I was a working actor for five years Mm -hmm. and I was relatively successful in the sense that I worked for about 25 weeks of the year and usually touring in sort of mid-scale touring and I was always playing the lead I'm tall and quite stroppy so I was always (laughs) like no good in the chorus you know so I'd play all these 
heroines of the previous centuries in um, in classics in period dramas and that was great fun you know going around the country eight shows a week in a corset you know shouting and falling <laughs> over I was very thin it was very good for the weight loss um, and it was fun and I did a tiny bit of television and and a very low budget film that never went anywhere so I think if I'd have stuck with it perhaps I would have got somewhere but if I'm totally honest I think acting wasn't quite the right way of expressing myself which I had to do it in order to discover that but now that I do comedy which we'll come back round to you know that is a better form of expression for me as it turns out so by the time I was 30 I was single and living in London and I just thought do you know I would like a marriage and a mortgage. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Excellent. So you wanted a marriage and a mortgage. So how did yeah. you go about getting those things? Well, it's no good trying to do either of those things in London. So at 30, I decided to move to Devon, which is where I was born. Although I was brought up in Sheffield, hence my clearly northern accent. Well, I was going to say, I've heard you perform with a very let's just say more more of an rp not quite an rp but more rp than than northern but i've also heard the northern version as well so i was wondering <laughs> which one is most most natural for you these days well i like to say to audiences if you're struggling with my accent it's posh northern <laughs> and there we go posh northern the best <laughs> of both, best of both <laughs> so but i was actually born in devon although we moved when i was two so if in effect i went husband hunting in the provinces wow very mm. good yeah and i found one had a plan i had a plan and as soon as I moved to Exeter, I saw a castle on the hill and I thought, that is where I'm going to get married, even though I hadn't met anyone yet. <laughs> and five years later, reader, I married him. Wow. Wow. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. I, if, if this was a dating program, I would be going into more. <laughs> you know, the single woman that wants to snare the fella, we could probably yeah. cover that off. <laughs> That's another show. So, exactly. It could be. It could be. So, so you're in Devon. And yeah. what did you do for an income in Devon? So you had a, a business background, you had mm -hmm. your acting skills. What came next? Well, this was the beginning of deciding to combine all those things. When my mother had given me that advice of get a job to have something to fall back on, she was right, but she wasn't right about the reason. I've never really needed that in order to go back into it. You know, I've been self-employed now really all my working life. But it has been incredibly useful for credibility to say that I have a corporate background allows me to go to corporates and they feel that I understand them. And that's yeah. true. I do. Having had a team and gone through a, all the things they go through, yeah. there is that genuine empathy on my side. And so the credibility piece was very important. I decided when I set up my training business when I was about 32, having settled into Devon, that I would say that I combine psychology and people and performance. Yes. And I'm still saying that to this day, that <laughs> that triangle is, it puts me in a very good position. Very similar to you, you know, we've got really similar backgrounds, but that, that triangle allows me to work with a lot of different people and also bring uh, elements of all of those things into the way that I work. And then I gradually, by 2011, I'd specialised into just teaching presentation skills and sales and that's still what I do today but it's not all that you do today when and where did the speaking come in I was curious about whether that came before the comedy or after the comedy 
oh before the comedy's the nearest thing so I've only been really actively performing comedy for since 2014 when I went and trained in it did a did some training so before that I my first ever paid speech was 2009 and I, a network asked me to do a speech on time management, which is hilarious because <laughs> I am someone who really struggles to be on time. So <laughs> it was like the least, <laughs> the least <laughs> relevant topic anyone could have picked for me. So, uh, but I got paid £250 to do a 45 minute speech. And I thought, oh, this is good. I could do this for a living. This, this pays money. So this planted the idea in my mind that there is such a thing as professional speaking. Yeah. It wasn't until 2012 that I joined the Professional Speaking Association, the PSA, because I got yeah. serious about making it into a, a, a speaking business. And somewhere in between those two dates, I started speaking success and started teaching people speaking. Yeah. So it was because I became a speaker that I thought, oh, I'm good at this. I should teach other people how to speak. Yes. That's going to be my best topic. You know, when people say, how do you choose your topic? I think it really evolves over time. I was teaching a whole load of things around leadership and management and so on. But I didn't feel strongly called to those topics, if I'm totally honest. That was actually one of my questions was, how do you pick your topics to speak on? Mm. But it was more like the topic found you rather than, in, in a sense, it was mm. a, something that you were passionate about mm. that you could add value on yeah so in terms of topic you've got to love your topic enough to speak on it a lot because you're going to be speaking on it often and also probably for many many years because what you need to do is establish a reputation in the marketplace around a topic you have to niche these days there's too much noise on the internet to be a generalist anymore yeah. you've got to you want to pick a lane as the Americans say and, and stick in that lane so one, you're going to have to like this enough to talk about it a lot, you know, not get sick to death of it. Yeah. <laughs> and for another thing, you've got to pick a topic that you are sufficiently credible on. You know, if you get up on stage and you're not a very good speaker, no one's going to book you to teach them public speaking. So from that £250 first booking, what happened next? Well, it was quite a slow burn because I was finding my way with having my own clients and teaching them speaking. And, and there was a bit of a demand for me to teach sales as well. And I still do that today, although I very much see that as my second subject. Mm -hmm. um, so it just took a while. You know, I had to experiment with who to speak to and, and how to write a speech and how to deliver it and all that. And there was definitely sort of three or four years of, of not that much visibility but once I joined the PSA the Professional Speaking Association it really started to take off and I've been in that for five years and last year I was made a fellow wow so that was a great privilege to be at the at the top level of membership there there's fewer than 100 people in the UK have that designation Brilliant. and I take that very responsibly you know as, as someone in the UK who speaks and we have an ethical code and we have uh, a real passion about giving back and trying to help people to become better speakers. Excellent, excellent. You know, it's something I think if people do want to speak, it's something that they should investigate. Um, I think that and Toastmasters seem to be the big, you know, big organisations, although Toastmasters is a slightly different animal, I think. Mm. But yes, so um, so I might do a PSA episode in the future where I can delve a bit more detail on that. Mm. That might be might be interesting to people. Good. I guess that's one of the things that other um, speakers that I've spoken to say is obviously getting speaking gigs is partly around, you know, building your brand and your reputation, your credibility. But also lots of speakers get speaking gigs through speaking contacts, actually. 
So mm. that's another reason to, have you found that when you say you join the PSA, is that the reason that it's blossomed? Is that part of it? It's definitely part of it. Although in my experience, it took quite a long time before those referrals started to kick in. Mm. I've really noticed the difference in the last year. Mm-hmm. And that's because I've been getting a lot of time on stage. So for two whole years now, I've been the MC at PSA London region. That's the biggest region in the UK. So yeah. I've been on stage one Saturday a month, um, MCing at least half the day, sort of yeah. the first half of the day. And then somebody else might do the second half. And then it's progressed into me doing the whole day. So I'm getting to showcase my comedy and my MC ability. And by default, sort of me as a speaker is there yes. in the background as well. Yeah. Every single month to an audience of professional speakers who, yes, have contacts, but also probably one of the most valuable things has been guests that come. We often have someone that only comes once, but they might be from a corporate And so from people seeing me, I've been booked to do private parties twice now, and that's to do comedy and singing stuff. (laughs) And then I was also booked to speak at the NHS, and that was a whole, like, it was a year-long contract to do three bespoke speeches for the NHS, and that came from a guest coming. So that has been, you know, everyone who wants to speak needs to showcase their speaking. And it's finding that stage time can be quite hard. The, the easiest way to do it is go to networks where they have speakers and volunteer to speak. There's also, you can speak at exhibitions, but then yes, the PSA does give you stage time. And recently mm-hmm. I was the MC for our big national convention that we have once a year in October, which used to be called Mega, is now called Inspire. And I was the MC for the main stage and that was really big visibility for yeah, me. Yeah, definitely. Just taking a little while to get to that stage. You have to work your way up like in any group. Exactly. And it's, and it's a bit like comedy as well, because one of the things, you know, people try, there's not really any way to shortcut comedy. You need stage time. And I think if you're, if you're sort of doing comedy yourself now, um, you know, you cut, it's, it's about finding your percentage, but it's about getting that stage time and, and building your craft that way. So you're kind of starting from the comedy side. Are you, are you enjoying doing the comedy these days? Yeah, very much. I mean, I'm in a really weird position because I already make my money from humor because I'm seen as an entertaining speaker. So I close conferences now. That's another thing you have to work up to. You know, I used to be in the morning and then I was in the graveyard spot (laughs) and now I'm at the end, you know, so you you know, you get paid a bit more and you get more sort of kudos for being a closing speaker. But the reason I'm closing is because I'm funny. So I would argue I'm making my money from being funny by doing that. And also by being an MC, uh, a sort of comedian MC for, gala dinners um you know and sometimes even doing after dinner entertainment so I don't do that much of it um, by choice but uh, so I think yeah I I do make I mean a good part of my income comes from just training and coaching people in speaking so arguably that's not making money from humor but a good amount of my income does come from humor so it's weird for me because I haven't worked my way up on the circuit so when I arrive at these comedy clubs, they don't know what to do with me because <laughs> I, they, they treat me like I'm a beginner at first. And then they see me do five minutes or 10 minutes yes. or sometimes 20 minutes. And then they go, oh, the thing is, you're, you're good. You don't really understand why you're good because we've never seen you before. Where have you come from? It's like I've landed from another planet. Yeah, and yeah, I say, well, yeah. I, yeah, I've kind of landed from planet corporate. That's yeah. the thing. I've yeah. had two years of trying out my material once a month on BSA London. I've had time at conferences to practice it. I do it all the time. Every time I speak, I'm funny. So it's really honed. Yes. 
yeah but it's not honed in the way that they're used to so I don't know what's going to happen with that. I think I do have to spend some time in these clubs getting on the circuit because otherwise if I don't go in some kind of traditional path through it, basically no one's going to know who I am. Yeah. So, but what frustrates me the most is I can't find the time at the moment to appear often enough in London in the clubs because I'm constantly traveling to speak. It's a hard That's a yeah. dilemma. It's hard. And it's, you know, it's, it is a lot of, you know, I think both, both things are a lot of traveling, but it's quite, it's quite funny actually, because um, there was, uh, I was listening to a, an American chap who used to do um, country and Western and he's a, a, a sort of comedy country and western singer but he didn't do the traditional comedy route he went down the speaking route and you know he said someone said to him what's the difference between the two and he said decimal point so in terms of yeah, it's yeah. hard to make my i think you're doing it the right way round to be to be fair because yeah. it's quite a challenge to make you know going straight down the comedy route is a is a hard you know not it's not many people like acting i guess there's a, yeah. there's a few that make a lot of money and the rest of them are kind of you know it's it's a challenge but um so i think you're doing it the right way around to be to be fair yeah i need to pay this mortgage we've just got in london <laughs> exactly <laughs> brilliant and, and i mean the one thing we haven't talk, talked about yet which is it's certainly something that i've you know i've watched a few videos of you speaking and, and performing and the other thing that you've got besides obviously being funny and a good speaker and and so on is a lovely voice which is which is uh it tends to come out in your in your com- in your comedy and your speaking which mm-hmm. not many people are able to sort of you know you know not not with a compliment just burst into yeah. a song and make it fun you know so that's really cool how where does that fit into everything well when i went to drama school it was mount view theater school oh, and okay. um, yeah. or mount view academy of performing arts yes. or something like that yeah. and um, i did uh, a one year postgraduate and it was in acting but they are really famous for musical theatre. They're probably the best musical theatre training around. So I was supposed to be there as a straight actor and I did my Shakespeare and everything else. My goodness, they forced a lot of musical theatre on us. <laughs> We're against our will. I was kind of force-fed, les miserables, uh... and also learned to dance to a very high standard. You had to be able to tap and do jazz. Um, to a really very good standard like basically they prepared us to be able to audition for cats at the drop of a hat that triple Uh, threat i'm sad to say (laughs) yes sad to say it's never happened it was never required although i did go and audition for chicago oh brilliant um but i do a speech on that because when they called my number there were so many thousands of people there i drank loads of cups of tea because i was nervous and then i needed the loo and it was three floors down and i went to the loo and they called my number while i was in the loo no (laughs) (laughs) so so when i went in i'd missed the choreography i'd missed the guy going through it so then i I just had to kind of follow the other dancers, um, which was okay until they all turned around. And then I oh, realized no. I couldn't, I had to face away. And yeah, he wasn't very impressed. I was, it was like, out, get out. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where if you just, if you just stayed there and wet yourself on the stage, it could have been, I wanted this so much that I, I missed myself on the stage. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Oh, that's really you know. But so that's where the singing comes from, though. You know, that's that's where that ability to sing comes from. Although I could always sing. Yes. And then I did also do some jazz singing when I was in my thirties to um, earn a bit of money, and just for the love of it, I used to sing at weddings and 
um, you know, lunches and things like that in the background. Yeah. But I soon realized that I, one thing I really hate is people talking while I'm performing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought this is not for me. I'm going to have to do a, a style of performing where I'm talking and other people are listening. That's going to be the way I like yeah. it best. That's, 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 so it's not going to be a background singer, you know, no. but certainly the singing's always been there. And then that was an easy way for me to start comedy because I didn't know how to write a joke three or four years ago. I, I did five minutes at a convention four, four years ago. And the material's just a bit weak. When I look back on it, I realise I didn't know how to write a joke. And I'm only learning that skill now. But what I did know how to do is to write a funny song, because I've always been able to do that. I, wrote, I was writing those while I was at drama school, and even when I was a child, I used to write funny songs. And so that's been my way into comedy, is to start with musical comedy. So that that's an, almost like a crutch for me. I know what I'm doing with that. And then I've, so I've done musical comedy and I've even done three solo shows in the last three years that have been an hour and a half long that are musical comedy. Brilliant. And then gradually I'm writing enough jokes that the jokes take up more time and the songs take up less time. Yes. And then what will happen is eventually I'll be a stand-up comedian yes. Yes. <laughs> that doesn't need the songs, but where the songs are still in there because everybody likes that don't they Do yes like definitely so in comedy there's still i mean it's getting better but there's still some bias towards uh, male comics and and i've had one the promoter say we can't have two women on the bill <laughs> same way that we can't have two musical acts on the bill or magic. <laughs> I, I mean i don't know if you've experienced that in speaking that sort of that issue at all yes i really have and it, we have to work hard to change it. And we need men to work hard to change it as well. Uh, it is very, very common still to see all male lineups of speakers. And, and even, you know, white male, you know, yeah. and white straight yes. male. You know, we keep working on it by, by mentioning it and helping. You know, the only way we can help is to become really good as women, you know, yes. to be good enough to compete. Yeah. And also to keep a list in our heads of other women that are good enough to recommend. Yes. Yeah, that's think, what I'm working on at the moment is trying to know enough women that I can recommend. Yes. I think these things do, do take time. But anyway, I, you know, hopefully those things are changing. So what I wanted to talk to you about as well was what, what do you think makes the difference between an average speaker and a great one? Oh, it's always that little bit of magic, isn't it? Um, there's a number of different things that are operating during a speech that do matter. Um, I tend to teach as I go through people, people go through public speaking coaching with me that you need to get your state right. So your confidence, your nervousness, etc. state, you need to work on your style, how you're coming across your structure of how your information is structured and how that's being conveyed. And then also away from the stage your strategy so i talk about state style structure and strategy mm. and those four pillars are what i work on with people when they come to me to be coached now for most people that are not professional speakers or who are just starting out state is one of the most important bits to get right yes. because generally they're nervous they're afraid yeah. of it so getting yourself relaxed on stage is really important most things spring from relaxation now, if you can get relaxed, then you're able to remember your content, you're able to slow down and deliver it well enough, and you'll be able to ad-lib or cope with anything that goes wrong at the time. All of those things come from being relaxed enough. 
So whatever people can do to get relaxed on stage, that I'm a big fan of that, you know. And then style is important. Um, I say to people that speaking is a heightened form of conversation. So it's not just talking in the pub. You can't give it the kind of energy that you would if you were just chit-chatting. Yeah. You have to give it a bit more energy. There is a thing called performance energy that you yeah. and I have yeah. and we know about because we've been trained and we've worked on this. But a lot of ordinary people, you know, if someone's from a corporate, what happens to them day to day is that they talk to people over a desk or they talk at a boardroom table and their voice and their body is not prepared for speaking on a stage in this bigger environment. Yes. And although they'll be microphoned, the microphone only amplifies what you're doing. It doesn't give you extra energy. No. <laughs> That's such a key difference. It's not yeah. about volume as such. You know, the microphone will give you more volume, but it's about energy that comes from the body and comes from the voice and the facial expression and the, and the level of passion and excitement that that speaker can bring. Yes. So that difference between one and the other, you know, an, an ordinary person and a good speaker really matters. Yeah. And I suppose the third thing for me, there's, you know, there's confidence and then there's energy and then there's your content. Are you saying anything interesting? <laughs> you know, I mean, there are too many people that get up and they seem to be preaching from the school of the bleeding obvious. Yes. You know, that is one of my big bugbears is, and I will be mean with clients. I'll be very strict with clients about this. If they come with a speech that I think is dull or it's just has too much in it that we already know, yeah. I will say that's not good enough. You yeah. know, that is going to have to be better than it is in terms of pure content. Not, I'm not even talking about delivery or style here because audiences listen to a lot of information now and they can get any information that they want on the internet there's no lack of information they're very well educated now so you have to find something new something interesting something novel to give them and at least give a new twist on an old idea you know come up with some opinions or attitude towards something yeah. you know that's a very key element of comedy isn't it that we yeah. know about that a lot of what's funny is not so much that we're saying something brand new to an audience they've never heard about. It's that we're giving our opinion on it or our attitude to it. That's what they find funny. Yes, yeah, you know? absolutely. So that's how you can make content more interesting is to just give it a novel spin or have an opinion on it. And that opinion might divide people, but at least in being divided, they're engaged. <laughs> yes. I think, I think some of the most successful people are polarizing. I mean, not to be, you know, you don't want to sort of create a load of haters, but it has to be interesting to people. And I think you're right. I mean, I was talking to someone else, another guest recently, who said it's a, to these days, it's about giving insight rather than information. Yeah. Which is exactly what you just said. You know, they can just go online and get information. Mm. That's, it's cheap commodity these days, but it's the insight and the attitude to, to it, which makes all the difference. So, mm. and that's, and, you know, and probably if you are a public speaker who is looking to introduce humor into your public speaking, um, the attitude and the rant part, which is, which is a tool that comedians use to come up with material, it can, can give you some opportunities to add that in. Mm. And, and that's, that's something you uh, work with speakers on as well, isn't it? Introducing humour. 
Um, yeah, this is a relatively new thing for me in the past year or so because I've been more regularly performing in comedy and I've now completed three solo shows and gone to the Edinburgh Fringe and those kind of credentials. I felt like it was okay to start to talk to people about how I've done that and how, how, how come I've become a funnier speaker. Because I used to be a straight speaker that taught nice things about speaking. You know, it was a nice speaker. Yeah. Um, but I was quite middle of the road and I wasn't getting lots of paid bookings because I was just a nice teacher type of speaker. And then once I started adding the humor, that's when the bookings have come and the higher fees and the more visibility to people is because I'm funny. So I thought, well, there is a bit of a demand to tell people how this has happened over the last three years. That demand has largely come from other professional speakers. It's pro speakers that particularly want to get funnier because they know that will impact their fees. Um, ordinary people don't always want to attempt humour yet. If they're still going through the stages of getting their state right and their style and their structure, they're still just grappling with all that. Humour can feel like a step too far. <laughs> you know, they're a bit like, oh, I don't know if I could try a joke. So I guess for, for my corporate clients, what I always say to them is, don't put the pressure on yourself of trying to be funny. Just think about it as having fun. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's a totally different way of thinking. I just say, be playful, be playful and curious. And if you can do that, then probably people will play along with you and they'll be happy to play. Don't go up against the audience in the way that comedians often feel it's, it's us against them. You know, don't go up against the audience and battle with them and try to make them laugh. That's not going to be a great way to start for you. You want to get them on side. The way to get them on side is to just introduce them to a feeling of this being a bit of a game, a bit of fun, yeah. you know. And that's where it can feel a bit more like you're down the pub is at the beginning of the speech where you are just maybe cracking a joke or, or getting into rapport with people. Then it can feel more informal before you go into the rest of your content i think that being playful thing is is really is key as well because yeah obviously it's about getting a message across and i think one one thing i always tell speakers as well is it's not about you really isn't about you it's just you are a, a vehicle to get a a message across with impact and that takes some of the the anxiety away but but i think being playful also helps you to be react in the right way it's you know if you do a Q&A session at the end and someone because someone might ask you quite a difficult challenging question but if you're in that playful mindset you can work you know work with that in the right way mm. um do you do you have many Q&As in yours or is it just a sort of straight speech and then and then finish how how does it work with with your stuff um I often don't do any q and I'm not a big fan of it really um but then again, recently it's crept back in again just because of conference formats that have asked for it. Yes. If I do a Q&A on stage, I'll just always have a rule that I don't make it the last thing I do. So because you can lose the energy of the room yes. on a bad Q&A, <laughs> I always allow 10 minutes Q&A and then I've still got a finishing point that is then going to have a laugh in it, going to have a conclusion in it, mm -hmm. you know, going to send them away with a message because I don't want somebody's last question about something to be what we leave on yeah. so that's one rule I have about Q&A the other thing I say is that you can do it in different methods you don't have to just stand on the stage and have people ask you questions because that can be very difficult to come up with a good answer on the spot not everybody has that skill set yeah. so I demonstrate sometimes to clients that I get a, I send postcards out or I've got postcards on the table that are branded funnily enough and uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> also, I'm working on having them have a little tick box that says, yes, I would like to sign up to your mailing list, Celia. Thank you. Because um, at the moment, people give me their business cards, but come GDPR, you know, have to get express consent. Yeah. So, um, but I put business, I put postcards on the tables and I get people to write their question on a postcard and pass it forward. And then that way, I'm able to control what I answer. Ah, good point, yes. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to give answers that are good because I can think of an answer to that one, but I can't think of an answer to that one. And it's a bit of a device for humour as well because they're intrigued by what I choose. Yes. And the added bonus is I take them away and I've got all those questions written down. And then I write them up into a blog article or several articles often, and then I will that's a good way of keeping in touch with everyone from that conference as well as to say, oh, I've, I've answered this question now, I've written it up into a blog. So it's a much longer tail to the contact that I have with them after the conference. So very good tip. That's, that's a very good tip. There. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's a good one. And, um, and the other thing I was going to ask you is about is, you know, we've talked about uh, speakers and we've talked about MCs. Um, in your opinion, what's the difference between an MC and a speaker and what makes each one of those perhaps successful in a different way? Sure. Well, MC and speaker are totally different jobs on a day in a conference. You know, the keynote speaker is doing usually 45 minutes or an hour on a topic in some detail, you know, delivering uh, useful content to the delegates. The MC is there to introduce the speakers primarily, if it's a daytime conference. And they also have the job of keeping the day flowing, keeping it on time, and determining the overall feel of the day as well. So they're responsible, I believe, for the energy in the room, for how much fun the event is gonna be or how it's gonna feel. Because each speaker is gonna give a different feel to the room. So the MC is the one collectively making it all work together as a, as a tone and feel. That's, that's how I go about it anyway. Brilliant. Okay, good. I've got a last couple of questions. For you. What, now that you are looking at the humor side of things, what are your top tips for people to add humor to their presentation? Well, I think one of the most important things is coming back to that thing of relaxation is yeah. to be yourself as much as you can and to mine what you've got in your own life and things about you that's where to start because people often say to me what am I going to do how can I write any humor into my talk I don't know where to start and I always say start with yourself yes you know, make a self-deprecating joke early on yeah. about yourself about your background the way you look whatever it is that's a very easy way to start it gets people on side and it gets them to know you that's what comedians do isn't it they're very Absolutely. good at doing that yeah yeah so start with yourself and then go on from there to, you know, drop different stories in about things you've done or you've witnessed. And the way to do that is to write everything down all the time. If you want to become funny, you have to write down what happens in your life. Because you just forget it otherwise, don't you? <laughs> yes. You know what it's like. If you, you, know, you, you have a funny incident and you just keep going and you don't write it down, you think you're going to remember it, but you don't. It'll go because another thing will happen that day. So if something happens to me on a train that I think is funny, then I'll just write it down. I was in the queue for getting on a plane the other day. Everything, my whole life is trains and planes. Um, <laughs> and there was a couple of Irish um, women behind me because I was on my way to Dublin. 
and it just cracked me up just the cadence of their voices I don't know what I'm going to do with this but it they just went do you know do you know Marge and the other one went oh Marge Marge with the gingerbread and the other one goes yeah that Marge and then she goes and do you know Jeannie and she goes Jeannie did got married and she goes no Jeannie who died <laughs> I was just like this is brilliant I don't know what I'm going to do with it but I just wrote it down because yeah. it reminded me of the way that they talked which is such an Irish way of talking that yeah. next time I'm maybe doing a gig in Ireland I'd be like I'm going to expand that and talk about that to that audience because they're going to love a bit of the Irish humour you know yeah, yeah so it's writing it down no way I would have remembered that if I hadn't written it down yeah. So that's you. the way to get started is you, you, you know, don't tell jokes. They always come off as a bit awkward on, in speaking. You know, if you're a speaker, they come off as a bit awkward. Don't tell jokes, tell stories, you know, just say things that have happened and find the funny in the everyday. That's what people want to hear from you. It's yeah. as easy as that, really. And then all the other bits that go with it, which are great fun, you know, around timing and attitude and reactions and act outs. You can learn that stuff by reading a comedy book. You know, read a book about comedy if you're interested in going further with it. But really, if you want to get started, think about what's funny about your own background and your own life. Yeah. And then just tell stories. That's it. Yeah, I completely, I'm a massive advocate of storytelling and I I think that's I mean, that's my comedy style anyway is stories with gags built you know through through it and I think that's the same because again as well if you're telling a story and there's a joke in there that doesn't work you've got other stuff coming up it's not all it's not all on on that particular that one that yeah. one thing but I think the other thing as well is link if you can link it to one of your messages that it really helps as well to, mm. it, so that it's it's you're telling a story and you're telling the, the, the humor is linked to something that's relevant to the to the talk um brilliant thank you and for people who aren't perhaps speakers at the moment that are aspiring speakers what are your top tips for them to get started what would you suggest that they do to to get on the road to becoming a sort of paid speaker professional speaker well the main thing is to start saying that you're a speaker that's what i did I don't think anyone's going to realize you're a speaker unless you say you are. Yeah. So create a page on your website for speaking, you know, and hashtag speaking and SEO, you know, um, put the keywords in that say that you're a speaker and slowly but surely stuff starts to happen. You know, I, I said I was a comedian long before I was making people laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, gradually you, you start to own that identity, yes. but you really have to announce it for yourself. No one's going to come looking for you. Yes. So first of all, say you're a speaker and make sure that on the internet, you're saying you're a speaker very, very loud and clear. And then the quicker you can get film of yourself, that will make a big difference. It doesn't have to be a, a full show reel. It can just be five minutes of you speaking, but yeah. nobody will book you without seeing you speak. So they need to see a film of you, ideally, or, of course, see you live. So the, the other element to it is, is you have to speak a lot in order to speak a lot. Yes. You know, speaking breeds speaking always. <clears throat> so speak as many times as you can. Be seen doing it. Um, record yourself on your iPhone um, and, you know, and tweet about your speaking and all of those social media things. Because the more you speak the more your visibility builds, you'll find that naturally 
you'll start to get booked. You'll start to be asked to speak if you're good. You know, let's not overlook the fact you have to get good as well. You have to Absolutely. work on your craft. You know, you can't just be rubbish and do it a lot. You have to be good and do <laughs> it a lot. You not get any bookings. Yeah, so. just thought I'd mention that in case that wasn't <laughs> clear. Um, you know, you should study it. Go to Toastmasters, go to PSA, study the craft. Um, but then once you are getting good, you know, yeah, get seen. And, um, and then the trick is, you know, when somebody says, will you come and speak? You've got to get good at that line where you say, what's your budget? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and start to charge a fee. You know, I, I meet speakers all the time that just haven't charged a fee where they could have done. And like I said, back in 2009, I started on 250 pounds. You know, now I get paid two and a half thousand pounds to speak. Brilliant. So Brilliant. it just takes a little while to build up your reputation. That's all. Brilliant. Those are very useful. Thank you. Right. So before I let you go, I've got some standard questions that I ask all my guests. Um, the first thing is, what is the best thing that speaking has done for you? I get to earn my living by being on stage as a result of speaking. And it means that I don't have to work in an office, <laughs> which I'm really bad at working in offices. I so totally admire people that can work in an office with other people, but I'm rubbish at it. And so being good at this means that I don't have to do that, which is lovely. Why, why are you rubbish at it? I'm just, what, what, what is it about it? Is it just being confined or is it the other aspect of it? Yeah, I'm too rebellious. <laughs> I'm so rebellious. I can't be told, you know, I can't be told what to do. It's impossible. I've worked for myself now since I was 23 years old. That's between you and me. 20 years. <laughs> I so can't be told. It's the entrepreneurial spirit that you have yeah. that can't be caged in a corporate environment. No, it's no good. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the worst thing that's happened? It met one of your a public speaking blooper if you like apart apart from your audition where poor so I feel so bad for you I wasn't there but the fact that you got that that call when you were off the Chicago empathy that's just terrible anyway apart from that which is tragic um what what else is there anything else that you're like oh no that's the bad story there yeah I early on in my more early on in my speaking career when I was toying with trying to be funny but hadn't quite got the ability yet mm -hmm. I was booked by an agency to do an after dinner Christmas lunch in Devon oh, this is when I was still living down there and it was, I had to wear a Christmas jumper which I'm sure was the very thing that made me not funny because <laughs> I just I've never worn one since or so traumatized but it was that classic thing that comedians experience where you really go out there and just die you know like it was so bad and I felt terrible because the agent was there as well. And, you know, we've never worked together. So. <laughs> um, I have another agent now. Um, but, um, you know, it was because I didn't really understand exactly what the client wanted. And <clears throat> I went out there and did a funny song and did some jokes. But I think they possibly wanted some advice on speaking. <laughs> like, wow. Because I do both. Because I teach speaking, but I also do pure comedy. Yeah. That's been an interesting journey to try to work out what these people really want from me and do they even know what will work? Because very often a client will say, oh, we think we want to have an inspiring speech. And then you come off and the delegates say, I wish you'd done a song and some comedy because that's what we've seen on YouTube. You know, uh, 
So what the client thinks you should do and what will work is not always what the attendees want and what works for them. And I've, that, that, I've experienced that clash a few times. What I've become better at is having a call with the client and really scrutinizing this and asking what is going to make this success. Yeah. Yeah, how can we guarantee that when I go out there, it's going to work? Yeah. Uh, so I've, that experience of dying in Newton Abbott was a salutary <laughs> one that has made me, I suppose, have a different conversation now in the run-up to any performance. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. That painful, but it's probably etched in your so uh, tumble art. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to be fair after christmas and you know I, I don't know if you've ever done any the 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 last thing comedians want to do although they're well paid is christmas parties and yeah. stuff like that and hit, yeah. uh, just anyway they're very difficult uh, probably wasn't you it was probably them <laughs> <To be> <laughs> i'm sure it was them let's let's blame the audience yeah. Yeah, exactly. no, just on that occasion it was christmas, <laughs> drinks and god knows what else anyway good and then the, the last question um i don't know if you've ever come across a book uh called think and grow rich by a guy called napoleon hill i have indeed yeah yes it's a very it's a very good book and one of the things he has in there is like this mastermind group where he kind of runs ideas past this sort of fantasy group of people. And if you could choose anyone, alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, um, to be a mentor, three people um, to be mentors, who would they be and why? Oh, that's so cruel to bring that on me. Um, <laughs> well, I think it would, one would have to be a comedian kind of at the top of their game. You know, because I'd really want to learn from them. And one of my favorites is Miranda Hart. Oh, yes. So I'd love to hang out with her because she's done a lot of different things as well. Sort of written and acted in a sitcom, been a straight actor, done stand up, you know, filled the O2 arena and also written books. And I'd like to do all those things. So she'd be amazing uh, to have around. And then... I'd like somebody who was more of a promoter or an agent, you know, somebody who was on the business side of things, not just because often the creator side, which I'm like, we don't always know how best to sell ourselves or how best to, you know, manage our own careers necessarily. We're too busy writing jokes and getting out there and performing. So I would want someone who was a really great kind of top agent. Um, I'm not sure who that would be, but probably somebody, somebody working today, I think, <laughs> um, who might want to represent me as part of this <laughs> mastermind group. Excellent. Good, good. <laughs> and we'll then fill in the blank later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I think the other person would be somebody who could, who could be an encourager, a cheerleader for me. Cause I know that I need that. I'm not, I'm not like, I don't have low self-esteem, I wouldn't say, but it's hard work going alone all the time with this. And sometimes you do have self-doubt or you don't know how good you are. So you need a bit of a push from someone. And um, there is a a very good speaker uh, who is um, a PSAE. So has been awarded the Award of Excellence by the PSA and is a global speaker, but he's based in Ireland. He's called Sean Weaver. And yeah, I know Sean from the speaking circuit, but I don't get to see him that often. But when I do see him, he always gives me the most amazing pep talks. Oh, wow. Like he just goes on and just before I'm going to go on, he's like, for the next 20 minutes, you own this room. 
just talks into my ear like that in his lovely Irish accent though. And um, I think I'd have, I'd have him on my mastermind to uh, give me pep talks whenever I need it. Just to pull him out of your pocket and say, give yeah. me that, give me that leprechaun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the lucky one. Exactly. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'm going to link in the show notes to your website uh, is there any other places that people can connect with you if they want to do so, either on LinkedIn or Twitter or one of the other platforms? Sure, I'm everywhere. Oh, um, there you go. I'm the first two pages of Google if you type in Celia Delaney. Excellent. And that's just because I've been alive for so long. <laughs> and, um, and also because everyone else called Celia Delaney, who's an adult, I've tracked down and killed. So that's why I'm everywhere. Brilliant. So Twitter, at Celia Delaney. Uh, Facebook, I have a page at Celia Delaney Entertainment and also I have a speaking success page if you're interested in the, the coaching and training side of what I do. LinkedIn, yeah. Celia Delaney, Instagram, it goes on. I basically managed to get my name everywhere. I got <laughs> so, in, the, you know, because I'm so old that I remember <laughs> when social media started and when it all started, when Twitter came on Facebook, and all that, I just thought, I know what'll be sensible is to just get my name. Oh, of course. You know. That's very foresight there. That's very, very good. Because I'm ancient. Yeah, yeah. I think I got, I got saraharcher.co.uk and some Sarah Archer model had already got .com and I was like, damn it. But yeah, so getting there quickly, you were absolutely right there. Hunt down and kill. <laughs> the funniest thing I heard the other day was a 32-year-old telling me they were too old for Instagram. If it wasn't a pocket, if I could have reached through the screen to slap him in the face, <laughs> I, I would have done but anyway I haven't even started on Instagram yet I'm going to be a very late adopter of it well know. according to him we're, we're both too old which I think is oh. is is rubbish but anyway there we go so I will put, <laughs> I'll put the links in to all of those places and uh, but it sounds like most people can find you quite easily which is a good sign but thank you so much for sharing those great tips today and for bringing a sense of humor have a great day thank you so much that's it Another show bites the dust. Thank you so much for listening. I'm chuffed a bit as we got Celia on the show. The things that we talked about, the tips that she shared, I'm pretty sure are going to help you wherever you are on your speaking journey. As ever, I'd love it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And come find me on Twitter, at SarahArcher15, if you've got any ideas for topics or you just want to share some thoughts about the show. Love to hear from you. Well, all that remains for me to say is have a fantastic week, grab life by the nuts and get cracking. Ciao. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book straight to the top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.